Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the show. So, Boris Johnson, whoosh, gone. Kaboom. That is the end of Boris Johnson. We have had many derivative sort of titles over the last few months. Is it finally over for Boris Johnson? Will he fight? Will he escape this one? And he, he did repeatedly over and over again. Um, aided and abetted by much of the media in this country, Boris Johnson has been able to survive things which you'd expect would normally take down a conventional politician. But he is now over. I know lots of people saying, has he technically resigned or not? He's out. Now, it's interesting. A lot of my, my friends have said to me this week, I really seem a, a bit subdued given Boris Johnson is finished. That's the end of Boris Johnson. You're, you're not a fan of Boris Johnson. You know, you seem quite upbeat, but you're not exactly kind of punching the air. The reason for that is, uh, I, cast your mind back to 2019, Theresa May, her wretched premiership finally implodes. And then what happened? And I think that's the problem, that the golden rule, the iron law of British politics is however bad and terrible you think things currently are, they can always get a lot, lot worse. And it is a real failure of imagination not to realise just, unfortunately, how true that happens to be. Now, what we're going to be talking about today, we're going to, be have, we're going to have Sam Bright, brilliant Sam Bright, a fellow northerner. They're a more authentic northerner than me, if we have a northern off. Uh, from Byline Times, also the author um, of a brilliant book, which is called Fortress London, Why We Need to Save the Country from Its Capital. Well, I'm sure we'll come on to that because he's got strong views on levelling up and all the rest of it. I just want to do a little introduction. I'll put the chopstick down, not quite sure I'm waving it. A little introduction to the candidates in what is a freak show. Now, look, this country's in a mess. There's an, a total state in but just by many basic indicators. We've gone through the longest squeeze in living standards for workers uh, since the 19th century. In fact, since Queen Victoria was born at the beginning of the 19th century. Now, uh, that was before the current cost of living crisis, which is driving millions of people into hardship and insecurity. Of course, when you've got inflation up to about 10%, while pay, pay is significantly lower than that in terms of the rises that millions of workers obviously uh, are suffering real terms pay cuts as a consequence 16 million people uh, are going to be officially classed as being below the poverty line by 2023 um public services obviously underinvested after 12 years of tory rule the national health service uh, which was woefully unprepared of course for the pandemic uh, in facing, as we've got an aging population and the crisis in social care, mounting pressure on the NHS, a housing crisis, the small matter of the existential threat of the climate emergency. None of these things, none of these things have been talked about by the leading Tory candidates. Instead, what they're doing is descending into the gutter by baiting and attacking trans people, which seems to be the kind of pillar of the Tory leadership race already. Um, and coming up with tax cuts for big businesses. Let's just have a little look, shall we? Let's start with Rishi Sunak. Rishi, Rishi Sunak, here we go. Rishi Sunak was for a long time, unfortunately, the most popular politician in the country. Completely ill-deserved. Uh, now, <laughs> Rishi Sunak, I think the fact he's one of the rich, well, he is the richest MP uh, in parliament, I think has obviously been uh, discussed. Let's have a little, little cheeky look at Rishi Sunak from about two decades ago. A little clip which I think is quite revealing about his attitude. I have friends who are aristocrats, I have friends who are upper class, I have friends who are, you know, working class, but I'm not working class, but I mix and match and then I go to see kids from an inner city state school and tell them, you know, to apply to Oxford and talk to them about people like me. And then I shock them at the end of chatting to them for half an hour and tell them I was at Winchester and, you know, one of my best friends is from Eton or whatever, you know, and, and then they're like, oh, okay. It's the, it's the way he flinched when he corrected himself that he didn't have any working class friends in a kind of, oof, 
obviously I don't hang out with those oiks. Uh, you know, it, it, it is obviously difficult for an MP who is surrounded by vast amounts of wealth to understand what millions of people have to go through. And that obviously applies very strongly to uh, to Rishi Sunak. Now, of course, we've had already one of the reasons the Rishi Sunak bubble burst, or at least it seemed to burst, was obviously the, the non-DOM tax affairs of his family. Now, Tory politicians having non-DOM status... Uh, whilst talking about patriotism, I mean, it's 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 questionable, isn't it? What do they actually mean by patriotism in terms of love for the country? When if you claim non-don status, now he imposed real terms pay cuts on millions of public sector workers, including the NHS workers, of course, who carried this country through the worst crisis, of course, uh, since World War Two. Um, now. It's true that we haven't had the full-blooded austerity of the David Cameron, George Osborne years, but nonetheless, he has been introducing, in fact, in his mini-budget earlier this year, up to £17 billion of spending cuts, which were buried in his mini-budget. And clearly what Tory spending priorities have been going to is to Tory constituencies in areas where they're trying to shore up their support. And obviously, Rishi Sunak has been guilty of that. In terms of other kind of crimes you could attribute, if you like, to Rishi Sunak. Now, the pandemic, which I think now has killed around 170,000 people in this country, um, the government failed, of course, repeatedly to take drastic action quickly enough, which meant we had to take drastic action, which was worse, because infections were allowed to spiral out of control. Now, when SAGE called for a circuit breaker lockdown uh, back in September um, 2020, that's where we're at. Yep, September 2020. Um, Rishi Sunak brought in anti-lockdown uh, so-called experts, obviously completely discredited in their claims and analysis, in a successful effort to convince Boris Johnson not to introduce that lockdown. But then we had to have a lockdown anyway. And then we had a worse lockdown, partly because we ended up with the, the variant, Alpha variant, or the Kent variant as it was originally known, uh, which, and one of the reasons those variants became more likely is because infections were allowed to spiral out of control. So Rishi Sunak is one of the architects of the pandemic, of the disastrous, it should be regarded as a disastrous, uh, the disastrous strategy to deal with the pandemic. He, of course, then, he then got fined, of course, for breaking... Uh, breaking lockdown rules, which obviously the government uh, were in charge of enforcing and communicating, including himself. Um, now, depressingly, and I mentioned, of course, how trans people, a besieged tiny minority in British society, uh, have become the main character in the Tory leadership campaign. And Rishi Sunak, his first policy, which he's announced in The Telegraph, that well-known feminist organ, um, he says Rishi Sunak pledges to protect women's rights in first leadership policy pitch. Well, actually, what does that mean? What is he talking about there? Maybe he's talking about uh, measures to deal with the huge pandemic of male violence against girls and women in British society. The fact that women's hostage, uh, host, uh, refuges don't have the funding and support they need in order to ensure that all women are protected. Maybe he's talking about that. Maybe he's talking uh, about ensuring that the right to choose is 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 absolutely embedded in our legal framework. Um, maybe, I mean, maybe he's talking about, I don't know, the fact that women are more likely to be concentrated in lower paid and insecure work. Maybe he's talking about childcare. Terrible stuff. No, he's not talking about these things. Sorry, let's just be absolutely clear. He's instead claiming that he, he wants to crack down on gender-neutral language if he becomes next prime minister, as he declared, we must be able to call a mother a mother. It, it, you can't, no one's stopping people from using the word mother. Can we just pretend, stop pretending this is a thing? It is, a, look, I just, I've not been arrested. Mother, see? That's Rishi Sunak. Now, Jeremy Hunt is often portrayed as the moderate, the moderate candidate, a kind of Cameroon I mean, when people say David Cameron and George Osborne were, mo were moderate, they introduced slash and burn austerity cuts, which actually led the country to the social and political turmoil that it's been uh, in ever since. Now, he, he was, again, one of the guilty men of the pandemic because he was obviously health secretary for years. And he even admitted he was part of the group thing that contributed to the UK's pandemic uh, failures, as he put it himself. Um, including, of course, not having what, what he went on to say is he didn't have... Um, you know, he should have trained up more NHS staff. But the, the NHS under the Tories went through the longest squeeze in its funding as a proportion of GDP, the economy, since its foundation 
back in the 1940s. And obviously, Jamie Hunt was a guy who took on the junior doctors, the workhorses of the National Health Service. I'm sure many of you will remember that. Now, as well as that, what Jamie Hunt is calling for is to slash corporation tax down to 15 uh, percent. Now, as actually Chris Giles has pointed out from the Financial Times, let me just bring up what he said. I mean, this this is also Sadi Javid. He's also arguing that corporation tax needs to be cut. It's actually going to be increased, which was a repudiation of Tory dogma because they claimed if you cut corporation tax, it pays for itself, uh, which isn't true. Um, but that will obviously cost billions of pounds. So they're talking about giving you know a, a black hole in public spending by in order to fund tax cuts for big businesses who absolutely don't need it. Now, what Chris Giles, a Financial Times journalist, made clear was it would be in breach of the OECD, that's the Group of Industrialised Nations, Pillar 2 Minimum Corporate Tax Rate Agreement. So the UK would still be seeking to exempt itself from international rules. But he said the dumb thing about this is that the OECD proposals are self-enforcing. If the UK doesn't tax the companies at a 15% effective rate, other countries can do it on the UK's behalf. Companies would not pay less tax by locating profits in the UK, but the UK gets less revenue. <laughs> I mean, that's... <laughs> It's just embarrassing, isn't it? So that's that, you know, the, the cuts to corporation tax, handing big businesses a corporation tax. I mean, it, it doesn't even make sense um, on its own terms. Um, so, I mean, as in fact, our guest himself said, uh, Sam Bright said on Twitter, Jeremy Hunt said he would look to expand the illegal Rwanda asylum program. All the Tory leadership candidates are committed to that. We'll slash corporation tax and would appoint Ezra McVeigh, I forgot to mention that, as Deputy Prime Minister. He's not a moderate, just ask the junior doctors. So he's 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 quite he said he will pick Ezra McVeigh, who's one of the most right-wing, ludicrously right-wing uh, Tory MPs, uh, as deputy prime minister. I think it's supposed to be this patronizing sop uh, to kind of like the north, because he's a southerner. Um, but you know, Ezra McVeigh is from Merseyside, and I think it's just you can see from the, the the election results in Merseyside, she's not reflective of the political attitudes of the people of Merseyside in the slightest. So putting it there in this kind of patronising way, obviously as well to, to to show that he will keep the the the, the Tory right at the absolute front and centre of the Conservative government. Um, let's have a little thing. Let's have a little talk. We, we talked enough about about Jamie Hunt. Sajid Javid br briefly. So Sajid Javid. Um, apparently himself on the national uh, insurance hike, uh, he was, he's now come out against it, but he, according to Tim Shipman, who's a very well-connected journalist amongst the Conservative Party, not long ago, Sajid Javid was privately demanding a national insurance rise of 2%. Sajid Javid's team apparently said that was a lie, but Tim Shipman said he's heard that from multiple sources. Um, he is himself a former non-dom. Sajid Javid admitted he held non-dom status earlier this year. Again, wrapping themselves in the flag, accusing their opponents of not loving their country and then obviously being non-dons. Um, Nad Nadin Zahawi, uh, who Boris Johnson made uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer, which then Nadin then called for Boris Johnson to, to resign um, the next day. Um, so he's now under investigation by HMRC. His tax affairs are under investigation, I should say. Uh Slightly unfortunate for the chance of the Exchequer. I'd be interested to know how that works because technically he must be in charge of the HMRC. That's actually under his purview. Um, infamously, years ago, Nadim Zahari admitted that taxpayers paid the power bill for his stables. Lovely stuff. Um, Suella Braverman. Oh, I don't know if I've got the emotional capacity to keep going with this, to be honest, but we'll try and persevere. Let's just have a little look at her her really bizarre announcement of her leadership last week? There's many, many priorities, but I think fundamentally we need to deliver some proper tax cuts so that people can be uh, dealing with the cost of living challenges in a more feasible way. We need to shrink the size of the state and cut government spending so we can curb inflation. We need to solve the problem of the boats across the channel. We need to stop a foreign court interfering in our domestic affairs. We need to make sure the Brexit opportunities are felt for everybody in this country. And lastly, we need to get rid of all of this woke rubbish and actually get back to a country where describing a man and a woman in terms of biology does not mean that you're going to lose your job. Oh, here we go again. There we go. 
Yeah. So clearly transphobia and, and talking about trans people obsessively is very much going to be part of the Tory leadership contest. I hope all the people who claim to be progressive or liberal or centrist or whatever, who've whipped up the moral panic on transphobia are really, really proud of themselves because look at what they've achieved. It's a remarkable achievement. They've got the Conservative Party chipping over itself to pander to and whip up that obsession over trans people using, you know, in, in a moral panic, which is, I'm afraid, all too reminiscent of the anti-gay moral panic of the 1980s. Um, Suella, who, I mean, in terms of LGBTQ rights, by the way, I'm, I mentioned that obviously in terms of her position um, on trans rights, but her record on, if you look at social issues, consistently voted against equal gay rights and obviously consistently voted against laws to promote equality and human rights. Uh, she wants to leave the European Convention on Human Rights. Let's just quickly, let's just try and wrap this up. Uh, Tom Tugendhat, who was again portrayed as a kind of moderate candidate, um, he said on, let's just, this I just thought was revolting. He's on Sky News. Let's just hear what he was asked and how he responded. What's the naughtiest thing you've ever done? Well, I invaded a country once. <laughs> Perhaps. Oh, hilarious. That's Iraq, by the way, in which hundreds of thousands of civilians died really horrible, violent deaths um, in what was an illegal inv invasion, as Kofi Annan, the then UN Secretary General himself said, as well as many, obviously, other legal experts. Hilarious. Oh, what a card. Um, Tom Tugendhat, uh, he's also put out this really bizarre graph, by the way, this isn't really up there in terms of crimes, of course, but it's still just bizarre. He says he's got the highest chance of winning votes in every part of the UK. And then he's compared him. It's really difficult to work out what the graph says for those listening to this on the podcast. But it basically, it's got in former Labour seats and potential swing seats. And he compares himself to other candidates by saying how many percentage points he's more popular than them. Just a really odd thing to do. But Tom Tugendhat himself... As Tim Shipman points out, says he would keep the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, keep the Rwanda policy and cut tax on fuel and reverse the uh, the national insurance hike. So there's your moderate conservative, Pretty Patel. I mean, I don't even want to go. I mean, she's not announced she's standing yet, but she obviously is. is she's obviously going to stand. Um, now, Pretty Patel obviously is the architect of all the awful anti-refugee and anti-migrant policies. Obviously, Rwanda being amongst amongst them. She was found by an independent inquiry to have bullied her staff, but Boris Johnson simply overruled and ignored them. Um, I think you all know enough about Pretty Patel, so I'm not going to go into that. I just want to talk just about about Penny Morden. Um, let's just quickly have a little look at her launch video because it's so weird. We're starting the process of electing a new leader of the Conservative Party. The party will have a new leader. The nation will have a new prime minister. We must choose this person with solemnity and with... That's enough of that. Um, it's, uh, people point out it's like a rip-off of that Chris Morris video. <laughs> if you look it up, you'll see what I mean. I just With Penny Morden, I, she's actually used me in her, uh, in her campaign, by the way, which is embarrassing. Um, let me just bring this up. I'm not. I'm actually not joking. Uh, she's she um uh, she she said she tweeted out uh, that I regard her as the most dangerous candidate to the Labour Party. Now I, I did say that actually, and I you know with my independent political commentator hat on, I just had to say what I think, and I, I you know I thought she was a good communicator and all the rest of it. I think. One of the things voters really don't like about politicians is politicians say one thing and then they say another to a different audience or they don't have any sincere beliefs or principles. So Penny Morden, let's just quickly, she did uh, very commendably supported trans rights, not something you'd expect from a Tory. Let's just listen to her. Happy Pride, everyone. Um, I'm an ally because I believe every individual matters, that everyone should have the opportunities and the support they need to reach their full potential. And if they don't, then our nation is never going to. I have a long list of LGBT plus heroes, but top of that list is my twin brother, James. Uh, James and I grew up in Portsmouth in the 1980s, and I will never forget his courage in coming out as a, as a teenager then. And I'll never forget the, the prejudice and the obstacles that he had to overcome. And I see a direct parallel between what he went through and what the trans community are going through today. 
Absolutely. Bang on. She also said this. Let me say in proposing them from this dispatch box that trans men are men, trans women are women. And great care has been taken in the drafting of uh, and the accepting of these amendments to ensure that that message it has been got across. Wow! A Tory politician being supportive of trans rights. Incredible. Oh, so then what happened is various right-wing commentators piled on her saying, well, obviously she can't become Tory leader because she doesn't share our hateful obsession with trans people. So then she did a thread. I hope in the next few days we'll be able to discuss how we get our economy growing again. I'd love to hear that, actually, and enable our citizens to live well. Yeah, great. Talk about that then. Oh, right. And I'd like to address another question that I've been asked. Do I know what a woman is? Goes through it, goes through trans women that, you know, they're not biological women like me. And then during my tenure in government, I challenged the trans orthodoxy with real and genuine concern. I mean, pathetic. I mean, I mean, look, if someone said the gay orthodoxy, they challenged the gay orthodoxy, I don't think we'd even have this discussion. Again, just pandering to transphobia. I mean, I think we should listen more actually to her twin brother who, uh, who said, um, I'll say this as clear as I can, uh, Oliver Dowden, he's referring to a Tory minister, is just one in a very long line of Tories that are pushing LGBTQ rights backwards at an alarming rate. If you're a member of the Conservative Party, a Conservative MP, part of this homophobic, transphobic government, you are complicit. I'd like to hear more from her twin brother, actually. Um, but there we go. Penny Morden. That was one thing you could praise her for. And now, for the sake of her own political career, throws trans people under a bus. Absolutely pathetic. Right, I've spoken long enough, and we need to bring in our guest. If you're just watching the show, please let, press like, subscribe, support us on patreon.com forward slash owenjones84. Sam, sorry, I said to Sam at the beginning, it'll take 10 minutes. It took a lo lot longer than 10 minutes. Oh, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. I mean, it's, um, it's a parade of horror shows, isn't it? It's not great. I did miss out, actually, Grant Chaps, and I should actually... I said, I said to you actually beforehand, I was going to praise him because um, he's not going to win, by the way. But um, he actually came up with a good answer on the on the trans issue. Um, and he said, basically, people should be able to live and let live and all the rest of it. And that kind of a Tory libertarian pitch. But the fact is, actually, that the fact now he's seen as basically a complete exception and everyone else has marched in one particular direction. I mean, just what do you think in terms of what this shows? Because, I mean, that was emotionally exhausting, I know. What do you think all this shows about where the Tory party now is and what, it, what it's become, I suppose? It's sort of extreme UKIP, isn't it? I mean, we always said that Farage had sort of um, had sort of taken control of the Conservative Party. And I think it's like Farage plus now. Like, I don't remember Farage talking about the trans issue with such sort of venom, um, you know, in, in a way that the Conservative Party is. It's also that I, I find it really weird and I wonder how this has happened, that the culture war has been distilled into just bashing trans people. It's no longer about like university free speech and, you know, like sensitive censorship and all of those are the like, those weird topics that again, were completely miss, basically. It's just become the trans issue. Um, so I, I, find that, I find that bizarre, whether they've got some sort of ad advice or polling or whatever. Um, but yeah, the, the Conservative Party has nothing to say on anything other than culture war topics now. I mean, I think the, the kind of worrying thing is that like, this is, they've all marked their like, their territory where they stand. And they all broadly sort of revolve around the same like anti-trans, like anti-tax, small state agenda. But the thing is, that they're going to try and differentiate this themselves, like, progressively as the campaign goes on. And you can't see them differentiating themselves in a more sort of sensible, rational, reasonable direction. It's going to go towards the more radical extreme wings. Um, and they're going to try and, you know, better each other on, you know, what other minority group they can they can bash with their with their stick. Um, so, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty horrendous um, on so many different levels. I mean, Jeremy Hunt and Tom Tugendhat portrayed as a kind of moderate candidates. What do you think about that? Oh, just like ridiculous. Ridiculous. Jeremy Hunt has done very well in of to the legacy media as someone who's reasonable because basically he knows how to button his shirt up properly, unlike Boris Johnson. Mm -hmm. He knows how to do his tie. He's got the same posh accent as a lot of commentators. And so they think that he's he's part of that that mainstream. 
Um, but if we, we said at the start, if we remember back to the austerity years, he was in the charge against junior doctors, you know, mm-hmm. Mr. Priority. Um, I think it was probably, he probably like convinced us because he was fairly good on COVID um, because he was like, we need test and trace as quickly as possible and as hard as possible. And he was like fairly pro-lockdown, et cetera. But aside from that, take COVID aside, which is an anomaly anyway in terms of policy, um, he's been he's been as as hardline as you can get, and I think this this his launch over the past day has been despicable. That Tom Tugendhat thing that you showed, when he said the the naughty thing that he'd done was invade a country, that is sick. I mean, I've never really liked I've never really liked him. I, I know it's it's kind of you know, with all these things you you kind of don't want to go into personality politics, but there's something about him that seems a bit clipped and seems a bit patronising and. You know, as though he's 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 better than a lot of people. And usually, when I've seen him, he's been interrogating Boris Johnson. So that's been a fair opinion for him to have. Um, he was certainly better than Boris Johnson when he was interrogating him at, at the um, liaison committee. But then to sort of brush aside the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people is just is sickening. Um, and yeah, and then like I say, like there's nothing that differentiates these candidates. Like Sajid Javid, um, the former health secretary, saying that he'd cancel the tax rise to pay for social care spending and NHS spending is just the most ludicrous irony that you could ever construct. And that's because they like, it's, it's soundbite politics. Like they, none of them have an idea. None of them have a vision. It's just sort of, it, it, it's just posturing mm-hmm. um, attempting to look like, like you say, a nationalist flag waving leader. Um, while, you know, we all we all suffer the 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 end result of it. I mean, think about Jamie Hunt. I mean, you're right; he did take public calls on COVID, which became vindicated. But for me, it's the fact that his tenure as health secretary is one of the reasons Britain was left exposed in terms of the pandemic. Because obviously, you know, he's admitted that himself. Actually, it's a bit late though, isn't it? 170 thousand deaths on. So I, I always think it's important to know that, just because, um, you know, the disaster of COVID um in this country was a te- was a team effort <laughs> and Jer- jeremy hunt was part of that yeah i mean in terms of i'm just interested in terms of um you see one of the things why i've not been kind of weeping and all the rest of it i wrote a piece i think it was during the first confidence vote yeah sorry there was only one confidence vote in the end uh the confidence vote which boris johnson won a month ago and the the point i made there is actually a lot of the problems that a lot of Tory MPs have with Boris Johnson isn't about his character. They don't care about that really, do they? I mean, they, they obviously, when it becomes an electoral problem for them, then they have a problem with it. Mm. Uh, but they obviously knew who the man was. They're not complete idiots. They know what that man was. They know who he is. They know what his character is. You know, they put him there knowing all of that. They kept him in power knowing all of that. The big objection they have, a lot of them with him, is they think he's too economically left-wing. They don't think he's right-wing mm. enough on the economy. And actually, you can see already from the Tories that are now talking about cutting taxes on for big business and shrinking the state, that actually on the economy, they're, look, they're, they're going to shift to the right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's almost as though they've adopted all the worst of Boris Johnson's policies and then added a few that are even worse than that. Like, I mean... The the whole economic rationale really, I mean, it's never made sense since 2010, but the scale to which it doesn't make sense now is bordering on the ridiculous. Um, you know, the, the fact that we've got a cost of living crisis, but withdrawing support for people is apparently the, di- the direction that we were supposed to take after it. it after we've all come together and united and decided that during periods of economic and social turmoil, national crisis, that what we need to do is actually help people, like during the coronavirus pandemic and, you know, furlough, etc. But now the, you know, dri- driving towards the Thatcherite wing of the party, um, we've got massive crises, as I say, in the NHS, social care, A&E waiting times higher than ever. And yet a small, a small estate is, is the solution to this. And I mean, fundamentally, they don't believe in, they don't believe in economic competition to any great degree. They say they believe, they believe in the free market, but what they actually believe in is monopolistic uh, vulture capitalism, whereby a few big players dominate the market who then donate to the Conservative Party or support them um, 
you know, the, their annual auctions. Um, and, you know, we're all stuck with the stagnation, lack of productivity, economic concentration in various parts of the country within certain classes that we've had for, you know, forever. And, and it's just, it's just, it's sad from a media perspective as well that like proper economics commentators aren't getting stuck into this and just ripping it apart because that's what it deserves, frankly. Just in terms of some of the super chats, and I'll, I'll thank and read everyone out who puts in super chats at the end, obviously supporting the channel. Amy Roberts says, as a trans woman with a GRC, it's a gender recognition certificate, and post-op, I'm really fearful and looking at leaving this country as I fear where this is all going. I have to say lots of trans friends who I speak to say the same thing privately, the, that this has become a hostile environment for trans people, that the level of hostility amongst almost the entire British media and the British government using their bully pulpit has left such a toxic atmosphere that trans people don't feel safe in this country. Tad Cantwell asked, there doesn't seem to be any plausible One Nation candidates. Am I right in that? I suppose Grant Shapps would try and have a claim to that. But I think what's interesting, again, just in terms of how things have shifted, I could be wrong, but I doubt Grant Shapps is going to abandon, say, the Rwanda policy of deporting mm. migrants and refugees to Rwanda. So, you know, what does it mean anymore? When people say, I mean, I don't know what I mean, One Nation Tory, I was thinking a bit like, you know, I mean, there was... It, it, it used to refer to the Tories who accepted the social democratic consensus established by Clement Attlee, but frankly, pff, most Labour MPs don't do that anymore, let alone Tory MPs. So I don't know what it means when we say one nation candidate. I don't really understand what that means. But I mean, do you see what I mean? We might portray Grant Chaps as relatively moderate given the horror show that there is, but Grant Chaps, I would imagine, supports cutting taxes on the rich and deporting migrants and refugees to Rwanda. I mean, he's voted for it. Yeah, exactly. And to get anywhere during the contest and to get in the cabinet, he's going to have to he's going to have to support those those sort of things. I mean, he's you know, he's been like Nadine Dorries. They've been sort of the the Boris Johnson twins, haven't they? Like mm-hmm. sort of following his coattails, you know, lifting his you know shiny shoes, etc. Um, so he's, he's, he's going to do that. And, and the, the body, the consensus of opinion in the Conservative Party now, it seems, is is radical is radical economically it's radically culturally it's radical i mean we haven't got onto covid yet actually aside from you know obviously in this conversation but more generally in this sort of leadership contest um covid is a real radicalizing force for lots of conservatives because they think that lockdowns are a mistake um that we should have let it rip through the population herd immunity etc um obviously that's not that doesn't have a great public policy resonance beyond just reflecting back at the pandemic and who's culpable etc but if any health crisis came along in future that was similar to it and the lesson that we're taking from it is that herd immunity should have been followed that's that's probably the most dangerous perspective of all um and then there'll be lord frost sitting on the on the outskirts who hasn't waded in yet prodding each of the candidates into a more radical position as well brexit of course they'll go more and more sort of they'll go more and more um you know, boxing match mm-hmm. with the European Union. Um, and it's, yeah, it's pretty, yeah, it's going to be a pretty rough few years, even after Boris, which is, you know, a couple of drinks on Thursday, but after, after that, it's back to the fight. I think it's going to be even more. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Now, in terms of the economic agenda, um, shifting off to the right, which is what we've both just alluded to. I mean, you're someone you've written this book, um, which I will repeat again. Uh, if I can get the title right. Sorry. Here we go. Yes. Fortress London, why we need to save the country from its capital. And obviously this is about how British society and the, the economy revolves so much around London at the, uh, to the detriment of other parts of the country, not least the north, where we're both from, though I'm more of a plastic northerner than, than you. I've now lived over half my life in the south, so can't really... Tenuous, tenuous northern credentials. I don't think either of us would be part of Sunak. I don't think he'd let us in the <laughs> crowd, fortunately. Uh, it's, it's a shame. Um, but what do you, so whatever we think about the levelling up agenda, and I think it's obviously in practice nonsense in that it's lots of lofty aims and ambitions without the resources backed up to enable it to happen. But what's this? What's going to happen now? Do you think if if we're talking about the kind of return to some form of you know shrink the state kind of Thatcherite Toryism? Yeah, it's dead, isn't it? It's. De- I mean, I agree with you. I think it was dead. Even right as soon as something comes out of Boris Johnson's mouth as a policy, it's essentially dead because it becomes too toxic for the left to adopt it as well. Um, so I think, especially given how the consensus is, row back the state, um, austerity two point zero, like. As it, as it was, the Northern Powerhouse Partnership said that Boris Johnson was going to spend less on English regional development than either Theresa May or David Cameron. You know, two austerity prime ministers, and certainly mm-hmm. David Cameron more so than Theresa May. So even in terms of how it was framed by Boris Johnson, it was insufficient. Um, obviously, the Conservatives have got a massive issue with Southern seats going to the Liberal Democrats. And I think they're really worried about... Um, about the levelling up agenda seeing being seen as pitting one part of the country against another. Um, and frankly, they're probably far more concerned about losing those traditional heartland home county seats than they are the Red Wall. And so the trans agenda, um, culture wars, universities, free speech, you know, GB, GB News, front page of the Sun um, headlines, that's what they're going to try and deploy to retain as much as of the Red Wall as possible. But I think... In the Tory mindset, they're not really bothered about redistributing to neglected parts of the country. And they've probably written off the Red Wall. I don't see any candidate coming out with a feasible plan for the Red Wall. I mean, if, if the extent of it is Estimate Vey being appointed as Deputy Prime Minister, then it's uh, it's 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 you know a disaster at the get-go. So yeah. one of the things I'm interested in, I want to see your your thoughts on this. Um I, I, I'm writing a column with, and I, I've, I've been asked to allude to it. So I'm just interested, maybe this will help set on my thoughts. The, the Labour Party are set, they're putting forward a vote of no confidence in the House of Commons this week. What do you think of that as a tactic? Um, I'm unsure. I think, I don't actually, I don't think it's a great political strategy, personally. I think it focuses attention around Boris Johnson, which is not not a bad thing. Everyone hates Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson is Labour's greatest electoral asset. Um, but it has the potential to unite the Conservative Party. I don't see that it's going to succeed in its aims, um, in the fact that there's not going like the Conservative Party is not going to declare no confidence in the government. It's just not. Um, unless Boris Johnson comes out tomorrow and says, I'm running or I'm not leaving, like you know, Wolf of Wall Street style, it's it's like he's going to go. He's definitely going to go. And so for the Labour Party to then make this an issue rather than tax and spend, rather than, you know, coming out with a more robust culture war argument, um, I think is probably already fighting the argument of the past. Um, mm. So I don't, I think it's, I think it's a pretty, I think it's probably quite a wet and it sounds it sounds it's big words, but ultimately won't result in anything. 
David Bowen to ask, how much of a threat are these candidates to Labour? And what can Labour do to keep its lead? And then had to like dumping Keir in the bin. Um, <laughs> before I ask you actually what like what Labour need to to do in terms of just general strategy, I'll, I'll come on to that. But I am interested. What do we? Th- who do we think the kind of the most challenging or threatening candidate is? I mean, I'm trying to think because obviously Rishi Sunak for a while was was very popular, but it was based on the fact essentially he was Mr. Furlough. He introduced a scheme which obviously was applied in many other Western European nations during the pandemic and was just associated with free money. So people were like, oh, thanks, mate. And then then he became liked. Obviously, actually, his role in terms of everything from eat out to help out to um, resisting lockdown and successfully fighting the rearguard action against the second lockdown in 2020 um etc uh but obviously he imploded partly because of the kind of his uh, scrutiny obviously of his family's business practices and tax practices and he got fined um but he has kind of revived a bit what do you so i don't know what do we what do we think rishi sanak how how threatening do you think he is i think he's the most threatening i think this is the thing i i don't see a leadership candidate really who's got it in them to win even a significant majority, even like 30, 40 seats. I don't see that they've got that at the minute. Um, I think Sunak's like a corporate robot, basically. I think Sunak's got massive political weaknesses. He's not charming. He can't think on his feet. Um, He's somehow more boring than Keir Starmer, like remarkably. I don't know how he's managed to do that, but he has. I, I do worry because it's sort of, you know, the, the two of them will just will just send the nation to sleep. And obviously they'll vote Conservative because that will be the instincts of the, of the population. Um, but I think if Labour does the smart thing, which is what Andy Burnham has been calling for, he spoke to me for my book and said, I'd love Labour to deploy me a bit more. If you get some of those Northern leaders being like, look, we said to Rishi Sunak, your furlough scheme um, treated Northerners as second-class citizens. You know, I was standing on the steps of, um, you know, Man- Manchester City Hall and um, exasperating at you to give us more money during that period and sort of, I don't know, bring out those contrasts between here, between Sunak's very businessman-like, a bit too slick, a bit too much of a facade, a bit too much of a suit against slightly more charming Northerner. I think Burnham's got it a bit. Um, I think that I think that could work. I don't think Keir's going to do it because he doesn't seem to particularly like Burnham and he doesn't want to give Andy Burnham the spotlight. But that's if I was in that position, that's how I'd how I'd ta- tackle it. I think the rest of the candidates are are, are weak, like just just see through in terms of their political ambition. Um, I think Sunak is as well, but um, Liz Truss. She goes on the radio. Yeah, Liz Truss. Yeah, Liz Truss. I mean, if, yeah, you just you kind of. She hasn't technically announced yet. I think that no. has she announced now? No, she hasn't. I think that's no, why I didn't include her. But uh, so she hasn't done a leadership speech. Obviously, she would always have a very special place in my heart for her speech denouncing um, the importing of cheese. For those who don't know what we're talking about, just look it up. She 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 refers to the the amount of cheese we import and then yells she's really angry in it like really properly raging this is a disgrace that's what she she actually does do that uh one of the weirdest speeches i've ever watched a lot of tories are worried about liz trust because they they think she's actually too fanatical uh one yeah. of them says she, she's prime minister she might actually just start a nuclear war <laughs> great and she's you know on the economy i mean she is i think unlike a lot of those other tory mps like a true true believer She's very, very ideological, very, very dogmatically right-wing economically um, and would love to do shrink the state, Thatcherism, austerity, um, that kind of stuff. I mean, she's really, you know, her, her politics are disturbing and actually frighten some Tory MPs. Well, they think yeah. she's an election, though. That's why. Oh, yeah. She, I mean, she is. Like, she goes up in an, in an interview and I, I kind of think as though she might, like, fold in a way that Ed Miliband folded like an interviewer asks her like what you're going to do about putin and everybody's just like laughs because she'll just try and be too much thatcher she'll just like yeah. pull some sort of ridiculous stunt on the back of a tank you know with a with a yeah with an eu flag that's that's you know like on fire behind it and you know it'll just seem like on the nose and ridiculous yeah. um sadger's too wooden 
um, Nadine Zahawi is under investigation from his own department, for God's sake. Yeah, like, how can a man survive survive that? Like, And I don't I understand. I mean, some people, because he's been working with Linton Crosby, he's obviously the traditional kind of Tory electoral guru type guy, apparently working on this leadership bid for months. Some There's a lot of Tory MPs who really rate him. I don't get it. I, I've never, I mean, the interviews he does, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't what's, what's his strength? I don't know. I, I think mean, he's got good backstory. Good backstory. That's, I suppose, what they Good say. backstory. And I think, like, he's fairly good on his feet. Like, I always think of this in terms of, like, James Bond leadership. Like, who kind of, like, presents themselves as, like, an authoritarian, like, leader? Like, someone who you trust, I don't know, you know, on the front line of a war, whatever. Um, and he, he kind of has that, he has that sort of, um, it's kind of quite compelling, I think, as like an individual um, in terms of how he responds to questioning. But then when you investigate like anything in terms of his like adult background um, and his tax avoidance and his, um, yeah, his, his, his keeping his ponies warm using taxpayer money um, and he's, he's wanting tax cuts for the rich, etc. Um, I think it all, I think it pretty much falls to pieces. I think he can just about maintain that facade of someone who might be electable but again in the red wall i just don't think that anyone's got that sort of that spark mm. that magic source that boris johnson had temporarily because of brexit and because of who he is and his distraction techniques and the media etc i don't any i don't think anybody's got that to be able to like revive the red wall to any significant degree so they're losing like 30 40 seats immediately they're probably losing another like 10 20 to the liberal democrats and then at mm. that stage you're in you know you're in coalition territory um, and on that front, it looks a lot better for Labour than it does the Tories at the minute, um, you know, with the with the Liberal Democrats and, you know, potentially SNP rather than DUP who props up Theresa May. Pretty Patel, I mean, I mentioned her. I think what's interesting about Pretty Patel, actually, is you might expect her to be very popular amongst Tory members, but she actually isn't. According mm. to the, in the polling, she's actually near the bottom of the table and she's very unpopular amongst the public. And that is heartening because actually... I suppose the Tories might think to themselves, well, actually, she's such a vicious, mean person that actually will appeal to the worst possible uh, instincts of the British public and they'll lap it up. And actually, that hasn't worked. Like The, 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 the anti-migrant, anti-refugee stance that she has prom- promoted hasn't actually made her popular. But don't you find this weird? The, isn't it Wallace who's top of... The, the ben Wallace, yeah, and Ben Wallace. Wallace. So again, I didn't mention him because he's ruled himself out. But he's the defence secretary. He's popular amongst members, but again, the polling amongst the general public, most people don't know who he is. But actually, he does. He's got a negative rating amongst the public. But the commentariat actually really liked him. He became the yeah, kind of but Tory, mem- Tory members as well, like yeah. I like fairly what you'd call moderate candidates. You know, on the sliding scale of the Tory leadership, rank fairly well in. And I don't understand why, as a result, they've gone so hardline that they've that they've just like flung themselves to the right. Like they must have all got the polling sorted. So I, I don't know. One like one set of polling is wrong, basically. Maybe the prior polling, the Conservative home polling that they mm-hmm. do every month. Um, but like the the candidates that you would expect. They sort of veered towards the candidates that you were that are on the harder, the more right wing side of the party, which yeah. is a bit baffling considering past form and all this. And yeah, when when the Rwanda policy came out, I think Priti Patel didn't soar in those conservative leadership rankings. I think she she dropped points. Um, so that is that is quite bizarre. I mean, I think a big factor in this that isn't really talked about because I don't think it's well known is that back before the 2019 contest. Uh, Lee VU, Aaron Banks and uh, Andy Wigmore recruited a really large proportion of new Tory members to that contest. So everyone talks about entryism with the Labour Party in 2016 and uh, 2015. Actually, there was massive entryism in that Tory contest from former UKIP types, you know, real chest thumping <laughs> libertarian Brexiteers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has swayed the Conservative electorate um, to you know that sort of Farageist tendency, and that's probably why we've seen this take place. But you don't, you know, you don't see that on the front page of the the Daily Mail, is right. the whinging about electoral pacts between Labour and Liberal Democrats. Um, 
So yeah, I think they said they recruited like thirty percent of Tory members or something, which is mm-hmm. a, which is mm-hmm. a massive this is a massive, massive figure. Just last bit, I want to ask about in terms of Labour, but just Penny Morden, I mentioned because she she did a tweet today, <laughs> quoting me, the most dangerous opponent for Labour. Nice for me to be used in the publicity for a Conservative candidate for the leadership of the party. Yeah, I mean, what I said, the reason I said that at the time is I thought, actually, compared to the rest, she's quite a good communicator, but she also stayed out of the cabinet, therefore she's got less association with Boris Johnson. That was what I was kind of thinking, I suppose, at the time. She's a Tory Brexiteer, but I thought, actually, maybe would come across well on TV or something. I think the reason I've changed my mind about that is I just think on the issue of trans rights is that given in the past she has been supportive of trans rights and now she's come out swinging to try and basically show, well, actually, I'm not a big supporter of trans rights. It just makes her look so unprincipled and it means that nobody really trusts her, if you say that, because obviously, you know, there's not many supporters of trans rights up for grabs in the Tory membership, but a lot of them will just, people will just look at that and think, well... She's not obviously doesn't have any convictions. She just she will literally say whatever she thinks is appropriate for any given circumstance, and people don't like that in a politician. Um, so, and, and actually, it's interesting because they're still going for her anyway, despite her thread. There, she's being attacked by colleagues for trying to apparently have gender, trying to introduce gender neutral phraseology into government legislation. So it hasn't hasn't helped protect her. They're still going for her. So it would have been better actually if she just stood her ground and moved on to other issues. But now she looks insincere. And she isn't winning them over. Just lastly, on Labour, um, what I, I, you made the point there about Rishi Sunak is boring. He is. He's pretty dull. He's. I mean, I think you know. I, I, I can't remember what it was. It was. Oh yeah. He, he. There's this video of him with some school kids, where he talks about liking Coke, and then he gets himself into a big. He means Coca-Cola, and then he gets into some weird conversation about what kind of how he loves Cola and he's obsessed. It's just so weird and David Brent and bizarre, the whole thing. He's just an odd, I think he's quite, he's quite an odd guy, I think I would say. But the thing is, Labour's big dividing line with the Tories hasn't been on vision for the country. It's been on basically character. It's basically integrity mm. and honesty in politics. Now, I would dispute that because I think Keir Starmer stood on a false prospectus to get elected. <laughs> he made a series of promises and pledges that he reneged on. Now, people might think he should have made those pledges. They might not believe in those pledges. They might think they're too left-wing. That's fine. I don't agree with them, but whatever. But he still made them. And I think it's terribly corrosive for our democracy when politicians say things in order to get elected then renege on them um, because it, people lose faith in, in, in the political process. Um, so anyway, but nonetheless, that was their dividing line with the Tories. But it's not, it's not, gonna, it's not really going to stick, really, is it, with Vichy Sanak? So actually, they need a vision, don't they, I would say? Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, you can kind of portray yourself as more like in touch with people, which is something that's often asked in polling and they they you know tunak will come across invariably as out of touch there will be you know regardless of his personality which is wonky and awkward there will be those moments where we understand more about his background um and his wealth i mean this i'm trying to calculate whether the wealth of Conservative Party candidates actually reaches a billion pounds because Tunak accounts for 700 million. Zahawi's yeah. 100 million plus. So, I mean, it's it's ludicrous that, that a man with such such massive wealth can stand for the highest office in the land in modern Britain. Um, but it's Trump, Trump politics for you. Um, but yes, in, in a nutshell, Labour's got to stake its claim to fixing public services. And to be fair, with the Conservative Party doing what it is and promising basically to wreck public services again and make things a load worse to try and play to the god of Thatcher or whatever. Like they may be able to do that. They may but they've got to lean left, like crudely. They've got to say, we will put strategically money into the NHS, social care, education, teachers' wages, nurses. This is how we're going to pay for it because the Tories, they won't, Tories won't be able to explain how they're funding any of these proposals. It's a Tory magic money tree in the same way that, you know, people have pinned that on Labour for, for decades. So Labour's 
Labour's if Labour does costed principled um, plans to fund public services well that catch people's imagination, because I think that's crucial. Like Starmer can't just sort of land seventy five, you know, fifty thousand word documents in people's laps like he did that essay a few years ago that everyone's forgotten about and hope that people like pay attention to him. It's got to be done in a way that communicates effectively to the public. Then they can win. They can win on that. And that that is like perfectly possible. I th- think 2017 is actually a relatively good marker. Um, integrating it in a bit more of a strategic way, um, communicating it a bit better. Like do that. Um, but we've not seen any. I mean, let's see. It's going to be election year sooner than we think now, I think. So it's time for Labour to, to start rolling that agenda out. I think it probably well, wanted what? to... Make a prediction. Make a prediction. When's the election? Next year. <gasps> yeah, definitely. Summer Ooh. next year. Summer next year. Definitely. There'll be a... Yeah, new, new PM will come in. Sunak won't, won't want people... If it's going to be Sunak or whoever, they won't, they won't want people to know that much about them because, you know, then it'll be a disaster. Um, so they'll try and bounce in the honeymoon period into a general election. So... Summer 23, get your placards out. Um, yeah, Blimey. ready to hit the hit the doorsteps. Whoop! Oh, just finally, Whoop. Amina Adamu did say, please can you talk about Kebby Badenoch, hard right gaslighting culture war and steroids. I did, actually, that is actually a bad admission because I think she's got a slight chance of winning, I think, actually. If she gets to the bot, Because basically, Rishi Sunak's guaranteed a place in the, in the final. So it'll be him versus someone more right-wing, probably. Um, so that could be Liz Tross, or it could be, or it could be Kemi Badenoch, and Kemi Badenoch has come out with very cliched hard right culture war stuff. Um, so I wouldn't rule her out actually. I mean, also, it is often the case that the front runner does not win, because obviously, I mean, Boris Johnson did, was the front runner. He wasn't for a while. People forget that for a long time he was written out of being Tory leader for mm. till I would say till the beginning of twenty nineteen actually. He all to the end of 2018. Um, obviously, if we go beyond that, uh, Theresa May wasn't the front runner either in 2016. Boris Johnson was. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, David Ed, Ed Miliband wasn't the front runner. Jamie Corbyn wasn't the front runner. Uh, so it's, yeah, I mean, it, it looks like Rishi Sunak is the front runner, but you can see how another, you can easily see another candidate winning. And I think you could see someone like Kemi Badenoch creeping in there, mm. which is horrifying. Yeah. Yeah, I think with Sunak looking a bit more sensible on taxation as well, he won't mm. play to the right as well as the rest of the candidates. So that will be, I mean, if a Hustings comes along, he's just going to get battered on that front for not being that right enough. So And they'll gang up on him, I think, on that issue mm. because they'll make yeah. it a unified thing. Sam, I've taken too much of your time. I think I said about half an hour. Now it's much longer than that. So sorry about that. But that was great. I really enjoyed chatting to you. Uh, obviously, you can follow Sam Bright on Twitter. Just type in Sam Bright, you'll find him. Or and read his stuff on Byline. And also get a copy of his book, which is Fortress London, Why We Need to Save the Country from Its Capital. Sam, what an honour. Thanks for, for you know, making me feel... Even, even worse about the situation yeah i feel yeah. depressed I, I was already depressed at the outset okay. and uh we've got to work with the material we got guys <laughs> and it sucks <laughs> uh but what can i've got to the point where i just let it wash over me do you know what i mean because i used to get it's just so emotionally invested and i still yeah. am i'm not trying to say i'm not i'm not turning to a sociopath uh but i feel i try to detach myself emotionally and then, like last week, I just thought, kind of hilarious. You know, you get a, a push notification, Michael Gove fired. I kind of thought, it's quite <laughs> funny, actually. <laughs> I just thought, you know, I'm just like, let it all burn. Um, anyway, yeah. So we might as well find it amusing, even if we are living in the worst timeline. But anyway, Sam, uh, it's a big honour. Thanks for coming on, and I'll speak Pleasure. to you. Thank you. Take care, Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, great stuff from Sam there. Um I'm, I hope I've sounded relatively compassmentous because I have overdone it this weekend and I've just come back from the countryside, which is why I have a big red shiny nose. Um, I am from Stockport, so my skin is not necessarily designed for this this kind of weather. Um, always put on your factor 30 is the lesson on your nose. Um, but thanks everyone for tuning in. Thank you to... Um, uh, super chats. Amy Roberts, Tad Cantwell, David Barretter, and Amina Adamu. Uh, do press hit before you go. Hit, please. Press, press like on YouTube. 
and press subscribe. Leave a comment as well. I'd love to hear from you. I do read the comments, most of them. Um, and obviously support us on patreon.com for slash Owen Jones 84. You keep the show on the road. We're not obviously funded by Tory donors. <laughs> um, we've got lots of interviews and documentaries to come, thanks to you. And obviously listen to us on the podcast, which is brilliantly put together by people who know what they're doing. Um, uh, and leave a review on our podcast. That's enough for me. We've got loads of interviews coming up. Do I'm going to do a shout on Patreon to ask who we should interview because we've done Peter Hitchens and um, Yanis Varoufakis, very eclectic, recently. Uh, but we've got loads more of those to come. So, great. Enjoy the sun, everyone. I mean, why are you watching this? It's really sunny if you're in England. <laughs> um, I think it's sunny most... I don't know why I'm trying to discourage you from watching it, but I'm going to try and get some sun now. Um, lots of love, everyone. Um, and I will speak to you all soon, and I will see you in the week. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you found that informative, educational, uh, interesting, and I certainly did. Uh, do support us on Patreon to keep the show on the road, uh, forward slash Jones 84 Leave us some stars, that'd be nice. Spread the word. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.